Some of the scariest things happen at night. Human beings have an innate fear of the dark. What do you think that is? Maybe it's because our ancestors saw or knew that there was something hiding there. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true nighttime horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story you would like to share, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the new reddit r slash thedarkswamp. You can find the link in the description. Now, be sure to hit that like button and subscribe if you're new, and get ready for these creepy and allegedly true nighttime horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. A Night in Horror by Electrical Line 6982 My name is Heinrich, and I live in Sweden. I will tell you a story that happened to me years ago, but I will never forget it. The worst night and time of my life. I apologize already now that my English is not the best, but I hope you still understand anyway. In 2004, I worked as a forklift driver at a large furniture company in the small town of Husqvarna in Sweden. I loaded and unloaded trucks and collected goods that were going with them. I moved there after school with some friends who also worked at the same company. I met a girl and everything went well and I lived life. But in 2007, it came to a break with my girlfriend and my friends from school had started to move away so I felt that I didn't have much left in Husqvarna. I started thinking about moving away, maybe going back home to my childhood town of Karlstad, which is 300 kilometers north, where my parents and childhood friends still lived. Karlstad is close to the border with Norway, and one of my friends, Tobias, has started to work as a forklift driver for a Norwegian company in Oslo. A Swede earns almost three times more to work in Norway than in Sweden. So many Swedes try to get a job there. So when my friend Tobias from Norway said I could come to Oslo and look for a job at the company he worked for, I didn't hesitate. To get to Oslo from Husqvarna, you must drive about an hour west towards Gothenburg, Sweden's second largest city, and from there, move the other four hours on a highway called E6 with two lanes in both directions with some wire railing between the north going side and the south going side. The south-going side moves through primarily dense forest. In fall and wintertime, the E6 is heavily trafficked by trucks and other heavy vehicles. As a rule, trucks drive in the right lane, while other faster traffic goes in the left. But during August, many truck drivers are on vacation. So, at the evenings and nights, E6 is pretty much empty. So on August 24th, 2007, I started traveling by car towards Oslo from Husqvarna, a distance of almost five hours. The idea was to stay for some hours or so and then go home again. So I left early in the morning and arrived at lunchtime in Oslo. I met my friend Tobias and got to go with him to his job and meet his boss. We talked and joked around and I immediately formed an excellent bond with the boss. And soon, I submitted my application to start working there. Afterward, my friend Tobias and I hung out at his apartment, we talked, ate, and had a good hangout. I forgot to pay attention to the time, and then I noticed it was already 11pm. Realizing I must go home now, I said goodbye to my friend, 
jumped into my car and began my five-hour journey home. I moved away from Oslo and went into the dark, dense forest for an hour. It was a full moon, so you could still see pretty well, even without streetlights. After driving for an hour and now finding myself with a dense forest on both sides of me, I see in the rearview mirror how a car, a Volvo 240, pulls up behind me very close. I don't drive too fast or too slow, and since it's a two-lane road, I think that if they're in a hurry, they can just overtake me in the other lane. After a while, they did overtake me and pass me, but then they turn right into the right corner of the road and stop in front of me. I must quickly turn into the left lane to avoid crashing into the Volvo. I look into the rearview mirror as I continue driving, and soon they get up behind me again and are very close. And soon they overtake me again, and this time they drive away a bit and then turn into the right lane. Again they stop, and then the back door of the Volvo opens, and a massive man in his 30s jumps out and walks toward my car. I'm starting to feel uncomfortable about this, so I'm definitely not going to stop. I turn around again, go into the left lane, and pass the man in the car. As I drive by, I see the man trying to grab the door on the passenger side of my car. Now, I absolutely panic and increase my speed to get away from them, but they catch up to me and do an overtake again. They stop a little way ahead, and soon the same man jumps out again and tries to make another attempt at my door. The drive continues and the same thing repeats itself over and over again. Soon I catch up with another car and I get behind this car, hoping that the people in the Volvo will get scared and give up because we are now not alone on the road anymore. But when I lay down behind this car, they and the Volvo overtake me and the other vehicle and lay down in front of us. The vehicle between us must feel threatened because after some short time, the car between us drives out on the left lane, overtakes the Volvo chasing me and accelerates and soon disappears. I pick up my mobile and dial the emergency number for Sweden which is 112, but the automatic voice operator says the number is not in use. Since I am in Norway, the Swedish emergency number does not work and I did not know the Norwegian emergency number right then and there. I call my dad and hope he's awake. My dad answers while the hunt continues in the same way as before. I explain with panic what is happening and want him to help me find the emergency number to Norway. My father is a very calm individual and rarely gets upset. He probably didn't understand the seriousness of the situation either, so he said, take it easy, try to drive away from them and stop and then ask what they want. After a few attempts to get my dad to cooperate without success, he's clearly not getting it. So I hung up and threw the phone in frustration in the passenger seat so that it bounced down between the floor and the heart and disappeared under the passenger seat. Soon, I am approaching Halden, a small Norwegian town. I see a sign showing an exit lane to the right. I think that now I am saved. I can turn off the E6 and the car chasing me can hopefully leave me alone. But to turn into the exit lane, I have to slow down. When I slow down, the car chasing me comes and drives around up on the exit lane in front of me and parks across it at the end so that I can't go off the exit lane and exit the E6 because they're now blocking me entirely. So, with nowhere to turn, I have to continue on the E6 and the panic is now massive. I'm terrified and now I decide that they won't be allowed to overtake me again before I border to Sweden. So, I accelerate up to 160 kilometers an hour, and they don't manage to overtake me. They only tend to drive up so that they are almost level with me. 
I look towards them and see how four people in the car are sitting, shouting something at me, and lunging to try to run into my car with their vehicle. We will soon be coming up to a large suspension bridge between Norway and Sweden. I panic and think that if they run over me or if I lose control of the car at this speed, I will fall through the railing and down about 50 meters if not more. But we get off the bridge, and shortly afterward there is a small truck stop where trucks stop and rest and show customs officers what they have in their cargo. I quickly turn off, and those in the Volvo continue, and I see how they disappear on the E6. I stop in a parking lot inside the truck stop and just… breathe. Now, finally it's over. I thought, but it turned out this was far from over. I bent down toward the passenger seat and tried to find the mobile phone that was under there, but I can't find it, so I leave and walk towards the customs house, which is closed. But there is a payphone outside, and I pick up the phone and dial the emergency number 112 and arrive and get connected to the police. I explained what has happened and where I am now. They tell me to get back in the car and a police car will come within 10 minutes. I thank them and get back in the car. And I'm afraid those people in the Volvo will show up again after 40 minutes without the police. So I go out to the phone and again call. They retake my report and even though I say that I called and reported about 40 minutes ago, they tell me to again wait in my car and the police will eventually be there. Although that I say that I am happy to stay on the phone with them until the police arrive, but they promise me they'll be there in a few minutes. So I hang up again. I go and sit down in the car and wait. Another 30 minutes pass without any police showing up. I sit and think about driving on. Partly I'm afraid that they'll come back here, and then I just want to go home. So after a few minutes and another attempt to find my cell phone under the seat with no success, I decide to drive on. It has been at least 90 minutes since I stopped here now, and the people in the Volvo have not come back here. So I think they are now moved on and it must be far enough away for me to be able to start making my way home. I leave the truck stop and drive out onto the E6 again. I drive for just a few minutes and come to a left turn. When I make the turn and come around to the crest of a new straight, I see to my horror. This Volvo is parked in a small parking lot next to the road. I break to a stop and immediately feel the panic. I'm standing about 50 meters away. I'm considering turning around and driving against traffic to avoid passing them, but I don't have time to think more because the back door opens, two people get out and start walking toward my car. Another person gets out of the passenger side. The Volvo then opens the trunk and starts picking something out that I can't quite see what it is. When the other two men start walking toward me, they turn to the left side of my car and start walking toward my door. Then, I don't even know, I don't even think, I just press my gas all the way to the bottom and drive away. I look in the rearview mirror and see silhouettes of the people running toward the Volvo again, and I now see from the lights of the Volvo, and I now see the lights from the Volvo start up and shine toward me. I now understand that they are now taking up the chase again. I keep driving and realize I have a bit of a lead now. I was looking in the rearview mirror and saw them in the distance. A badger runs out in front of my car when I look ahead again. I don't even have time to steer away. I just run it over with the left front of my back wheels. Right after I drive over, I hear something from the car scraping against the asphalt. Something has come loose after the collision. In panic and terror, I must get off the E6 now. Terrified that the car will break down and give up, soon there is a minor exit on the left which I quickly turn onto and get away from the E6. 
When I arrive a little way up, I see a sign from a small village that is about two kilometers away. I can't remember the name of the town now. So I start driving on this smaller road towards the village, and I still hear how it scrapes under the car. Then I see a small forest and to the right at the turn in the street, I no longer see the Volvo in the rearview mirror. And in a panic to get far away from the E6 and big roads, I turn into this forest road and continue into the trees. The road is very narrow. There are two ruts, the grass is in the middle, and around the car are large trees. I drive further into the forest road until I come to an end of the road, and it's just more forest. I manage to turn the car around, and now I'm facing the direction I came from. I turn off the engine and exhale. Everything around me is quiet and dark, but soon I can see between the trees far away two headlights approaching. The panic returns. They have seen where I turned off somehow, and now they are coming yet again. I see it's them, and when they break through the trees, I realize now that it's just survival that counts. I take my wallet and car keys. The mobile is where it is. I get out of the car, close and lock it. I put my wallet in my pocket, turn around, and start running into the forest as fast as possible. I hear people in the Volvo calling for me. I run more profoundly and deeper into the woods. After some time, I reach a small clearing and see a large stone under a very big tree. I climb onto that rock, grab the tree branches, and climb up. There are thick leaves on the components, and soon, I have risen to the middle of the tree, and I am entirely hidden. I sit down on a thick branch against the tree trunk, breathe, and listen. I am convinced that I will not survive this night. They will find me, and now I can do no more to get away. And no one knows where I am. I think of my friends and my parents. Will they ever find me out here? Will they ever know what happened to me? Or will I just become a missing person case? When I sit and I think about it, I hear how they are walking in the forest, looking for me in the distance, shouting, We'll find you. But luckily, they never came near my tree. I hear how they get deeper and deeper into the forest, but soon they turn and go back. I see everything through the leaves, their flashlights as they search through the woods. I soon hear how they continue back towards the cars. Then it's quiet. I dare not leave the tree. I stay there until it's morning and the sun has risen. Then, I climb down very slowly and very thoroughly and walk quietly back towards the car. At this point, I'm absolutely terrified that they will be standing there waiting. I'm pretty sure they wrecked my car, but when I go to the road again, I see my car. The Volvo is nowhere to be found. It seems they haven't even touched my car. After this, I just... I just went home. I tried to forget all about it. Until this day, I don't know what their case was all about and what they wanted or what would have happened if I had let them talk to me. Honestly, I'm terrified to find out. Doppelganger by Lady Luna. Hello, Swamp Dweller. I don't know what you would classify this story as, but it indeed is one that has haunted me for years. It was about seven years ago that this encounter happened. I was terrified by it because I couldn't and still cannot explain it. Maybe you and your viewers can help me out. So to the story. I was home with my children. It was their bedtime, so I got them all settled in as we read stories and said our prayers. I tucked them in and started my evening laundry. I was sitting in the living room folding clothes and watching the news when I heard someone in the kitchen. Now my living room faced the hallway down the hall where my children's rooms were, so if any of my children got up, I would have seen them. So I sat and listened closely. The refrigerator opened and closed. 
I was sitting there with my heart pounding, and I asked who was in the kitchen. A man stood up and said, Baby, it's me. The man sounded weird, but it kind of sounded and looked like my husband at the same time. But I knew my husband was out of town working. He then turned and walked out of the kitchen and into our bedroom, and asked if I was coming to bed. I jumped up and ran into the bedroom, and he was gone. I have no explanation for what happened, or what even was going on this night, but I assume it was like a doppelganger or something like that. Nothing like this has ever happened before or since then, but it scared the crap out of me. We moved out of this home a few years later, and I couldn't be happier that we did because I always wondered if something was in that house. I know the story isn't long and doesn't have a lot of details, but that was pretty much it. I have never been able to explain what in the world happened that night. Thank you for reading. My Nighttime Watcher by David D. Hey Swamp Dweller, my name is David, I'm 33 years old, a male, and I live in Tennessee. I'm new here to the swamp, I don't have any supernatural stories or anything related to unexplainable events, but I do have a creepy little account if you are the one in the situation, I guess. I'm a terrible storyteller, so please bear with me. So if you want to change any words, feel free. To start the story out, I was about 20 years old. I'd been dating this girl named Stephanie for about a year or so. We were pretty serious and things went sideways. After the year and a half mark, things went, how do I say, bumpy. We had a pretty bad ending to our relationship. We shared this necklace. It was a Nightmare Before Christmas necklace. I had Jack on it and she had Sally on hers. After we split, I stayed with the friend and partied all the time. I was just having fun. One night, after quite a few drinks at his house, we were all passed out, aside from two people lying on the couch across from me. Laying still, just cuddling but awake, I woke up wearing half of the necklace and not knowing it, until it was pointed out. I was really confused. I hadn't been wearing it the night before, and I had not seen my ex in weeks. According to my friends awake across from me, the story goes as this. She snuck in, slowly crept over to the couch I was sleeping on, stood over me, and just looked down at me for who knows how long. After some time, she put the necklace around my neck and kissed me on the forehead. Remember, I had passed out drunk. She laid down with me and just cuddled my passed out body. It's a chilling story just to think of. What if I broke it off on really bad terms with her? Would she have stood over me and stabbed me? Would I even have woke up the next morning? When you are asleep, you are so vulnerable. It's one reason I, I really, 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 really hate drinking now and nearly never do it. Be safe, be kind, stay focused. If you decide to read this story on your channel, that would be cool. It freaked me out and that night will forever be burned into my brain. Thank you for what you do, Swamp Dweller. Hey Swamp Dweller, my name is Nick, and I've got a story about when I and some college friends took a camping trip that turned out an entirely lot different than we expected. It will sound unbelievable, but it will be the truth to the best that I can recall. So, me and five others, Mike and Jess, Ben, Kyle, and Brittany, who all met in college, we all became quick friends. We decided it would be a fun time to go on a camping trip out west in our junior year. 
but we wanted something a little more private, so we could indulge in some more college-level activities and went far into the Rocky Mountain National Park to avoid other people. So, we went very far, and we had to get backcountry permits and give the ranger our names. We had to tell them when we would be back and who to call if we didn't show up on time. The location we would be hiking to, everything that you could imagine, we had to give them. Then, before we set out, we stopped at a local store to pick up some last-minute stuff. Lighters, matches, batteries, things like that. Now, some people will think it's starting to sound made up, but again, it's not. Jess and Brittany were toward the back of the store grabbing some things only girls needed when a local guy approached them, asking if they were from around there or if they were tourists. Jess told him she was with all of us and that we were tourists who came to hike into the backcountry to get away from the stress of college for a few days. He asked which mountain trail we would be walking, and Jess, who watches way too many crime shows, told him about a path across the park at least 10 miles away from where we were hiking. So, to say the least, she thought she was helping us be safe. The local looked visibly relieved and let out a big sigh so I'm not going to say precisely which trail to try to again keep the privacy of the others. But the local, after his sigh, said, That's a nice trail. We always try to steer people that direction and away from... And he said the trail we intended to take was nice, I guess, but he cut himself off multiple times just like that. Why is that? Brittany asked. Nothing too crazy. Just ten years or so ago, a girl went up missing there. And a few years after that, a guy moved into town who is unfriendly and he spends a lot of time on and around the trail for whatever reason. Runs a lot of tourists off by hollering at them and threatening them. None of us had spent any time looking up the area's history, so we didn't really know about anyone going missing or anything like that. But it was the Rockies, and people sometimes go missing, as sad as it is. Jess thanked the local and took Brittany up to the front of the store with all of us guys which was only about 15 feet away. The store was so small and told us about the talk with the guy. Mike, who was curious about the missing girl, went to the back of the store as we checked out and went out to the truck. After a few minutes, he came out, hopped in the car, and told us what the guy had told him about the missing girl. He told Mike that the girl was only five years old and was on a vacation with her family. They had gone out for a hike and the little girl wanted to play hide and seek while her mother got lunch ready for picnic. The father and the girl were playing when the little girl went to hide and the dad watched her duck behind a bush trying to hide. He had played like he couldn't find her and went about 10 yards past her before turning around and she was gone. The father and mother searched everywhere, high and low, and when they couldn't find her, the dad ran back down to the trail to get a ranger. The search had been absolutely massive according to the local, probably a record breaker, to the point that the military even stepped in to help, but the girl was never found. He said the dad stayed around for a few weeks after the search was officially ended, but he too had given up hope and left eventually. Ben, who was really into things like this, mentioned how it was very similar to the missing 411 stuff we had heard, and how strange it was, but nonetheless, it was 10 years ago and we pushed it out of our minds and kept on with our plans. We parked the car at the trailhead about an hour later, geared up, and started into the forest. Mike and Jess hung in the back chatting while Ben, Kyle, and Brittany all talked about our majors, what we wanted to do after college, and how nice it was to get away for just a few days. 
I'm sorry I don't have many details about what we discussed. All the finer points of what we got were pretty boring to be honest and they were kind of lost with time. I remember that Ben and Kyle were both in criminal justice courses and were talking about becoming cops or even FBI agents while Brittany was majoring in engineering and discussing what we wanted to do once we graduated. Finally, we reached a small clearing a few hours before dark and we agreed it was an excellent time to set up camp and start relaxing. We calculated that the area that we were at was a good spot and would work for what we wanted to do. Not quite as far as we told the ranger, but far enough. Mike and Jess shared a tent while the rest of us had our own. So it was a wonderful little tent city out in the middle of the woods. We got a fire going and started getting into those college level activities I talked about earlier. No drinking since carrying alcohol miles into the mountains would be tough. So instead we had something quite a bit easier to maintain and smelled kind of like a skunk. It was just starting to get dark and we had been going for an hour and had eaten so we were all having a good time. Then, out of nowhere, out of the corner of my eye, I thought I saw movement and turned to look, but nothing was there. Kyle saw me looking into the trees and joked about how I was paranoid, even miles away from civilization. Nah man, for real, I'm pretty sure I, I think I saw something. He laughed it off and told me to take a break and enjoy the quiet. And that's what I did, until Brittany jumped up and pointed into the trees. There's a man in that tree, she yelled. We all jumped up and followed her finger into the trees and saw the silhouette of a large man jumping out of the tree no less than 15 feet off the ground and running into the woods. We were shocked, and that's an understatement. Jess was almost in tears, hanging on to Mike. Ben and Kyle were standing in front of us, and Brittany was behind us. I was between her and the fire, just staring in the direction of the sky and the way he had run off in. How long do you think he was there? Ben asked. We have been here for hours. He had to have been here this whole time, or we would have seen him. Kyle said. Jess, through tears, asked, Can we leave now? I don't want to stay out here. We all knew it was way too dark to try and get back now, but no one wanted to say it. Once someone did say it, though, it would become way too real. So finally, Mike suggested we all get the firewood we can, keep the fire big so no one can sneak up close to us, and we would all stay up all night and sleep in shifts if we had to sleep. It seemed reasonable, right? We thought so, at least. So we started gathering firewood as the last sliver of sunlight disappeared and began building our fire. The only problem is, and if you've ever built a large fire before, you know this, it needs a lot of wood, and a lot more than we could gather before the sun went down completely. So we quickly realized that we didn't have enough wood, and someone would have to use a flashlight and venture out past the ring of light the fire gave which felt like a ring of protection at that point. Now, I have no trouble remembering the details in this next part. At the time, I was about 5 foot 11 and 200 pounds as a power lifter, so I was big and decided that I should get the wood. Since I could carry the most and the guy who leapt out of the tree was huge, if he was around, I was the best equipped to fight him if he attacked anybody. At least, that logic made sense in my head. I never hated being the big guy more in my life but I couldn't argue with the logic, I guess. So, I got my flashlight and made my way out past the firelight into the forest. I couldn't have been more than just a few feet in the tree line when the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I knew I had to have more wood, so I started looking for more giant sticks that we could burn longer. 
and saw just one a few more feet into the dark. I hadn't turned my light on yet because I tried to use the moonlight and stay stealthy, so I bent down and grabbed the stick and noticed that I could hear what at first I thought was a light breeze, but it was coming in intervals, and they were too identical. I quickly realized it was breathing. It was coming from above me. I was petrified with fear. I didn't want to react and let this guy know I had detected him, but I didn't want him to have this advantage over me at the same time. But before I decided what to do, I heard what sounded like someone standing up. With their back pressed into the bark and the branches above me straining ever so slightly with the weight moving on them, I knew this guy had stood up. I slowly looked up when the forest erupted in bright lights and muzzles a flash, and a loud bang sent my ears ringing. The guy had let out an awful screaming noise and started leaping from the tree further into the forest. I could hear my friend screaming from the fire. Then, when I turned back to run, a voice came from the darkness about 20 feet away. Don't run. I froze. I'm going to come out now. Don't run, the voice said. The local from the store then came into my view as he came up to me from further in the forest. You're not supposed to be here, he growled through clenched teeth. Take me back to your group, he snapped at me, and we both walked back into the beautiful circle of light the fire was giving. What the hell are you doing here? Jess snapped as soon as she recognized the man. I could ask you the same thing, he snapped right back. We all noticed that he was wearing what looked like a ghillie suit and had a very military-looking gun slung across his chest. His face was painted camouflage, and his backpack looked like something from the military. You guys really shouldn't be here, he said again. Was that you in the tree messing with us? Ben asked. No. He then asked us all to sit down, and that he needed to tell us what was going on. I think we were also in shock that we did what he asked without thinking. Look, guys. I know it was weird asking in the store where you guys were going, but it was to make sure you didn't come here. I was trying to keep you away from this area. That's why I told you guys about the guy acting nuts on the trail in the hopes that you didn't come here even if you did lie to me. Which you did, which obviously I knew you did, but since you are here, I don't see the point in lying to you now. It will only make things harder. So, my name is Vince Halderman. And just cut him off right there and said, Wait, isn't that the last name of the little girl who went missing? Yes, it is, he replied. She was my daughter, and I saw what happened the day my daughter was taken. That word hit me hard, he said. Taken. That's a lot different than going missing in the woods. I was taken implied that someone or something was responsible for his daughter going missing. That day when I turned to catch her, I saw something holding her under its arm and leaping up into the trees. It took my daughter, and no one believed me. That's why the dogs never smelled her, and they never found her tracks. It took her up into the trees. My wife didn't believe me. She blamed me for losing her, and hell, I blame myself too, but I knew what I saw. And I moved out here, and swore to track this thing down for my daughter. He was almost in tears at this point and I don't know if this was pain or rage that was driving it. More than likely, it was both. You keep saying it. What is it? Asked Mike. I'm not entirely sure, and I do know it's humanoid. They can climb exceptionally well, so probably a primate of sorts, and I know it sounds like a Bigfoot or something, but I don't know if that's what it is. I also know it hunts, it preys from the trees, and uses ambush tactics. 
he turned towards me. That's what it was doing with you when I took my shot. It was preparing to drop down onto you. This sent chills down my spine. It was hunting me. And lastly, not to make things worse, I know there is more than one. I looked around at the group and could tell they were scared and half believed this guy. But I believed him. I had heard this thing above me. What do we do? Brittany asked him. Well, for tonight, we keep the fire going, and in the morning, we will walk out of here. They don't like to move around much during the day. I think they might be nocturnal. We sat around the fire in a circle for a few hours, watching the tree line very intently. It was pretty like Kyle said, but an unsettling quiet. Like even the bugs didn't want to be found. Then, finally Vince kept his gun ready and scanned the tree line with his scope. He told us that his thermal scope was helping him see in the dark and he would see them if they came. Around one in the morning the fire was starting to get low and our wood supply was gone. Vince agreed that we had to keep the fire going so he would stand at the fire in a relatively safe way while Kyle and I would go get wood to cover us. We had been getting wood for a few minutes when rocks flew past my head. I looked up just in time to see a rock smash into my forehead, sending a white flash and pain down my body. I fell backward onto my butt when I heard shots ring out and hissing of bullets above my head. A howl and a thud came from above me. A body had fallen out of the tree a few yards ahead of me, and I could barely tell it was covered in hair, and the thing was struggling to breathe. I could hear it wheezing almost. Get back to the fire, Vince was yelling, but I couldn't take my eyes off this thing. I tried to capture every detail in the dim light before Kyle began pulling me back. Finally, we reached the fire, and Vince made sure that apart from the cut of my forehead, I wasn't hurt. He pulled some supplies out of his bag and bandaged up my forehead. I think you killed one, I finally stammered. Yeah, I did. Not the first and probably not the last. How many? Mike asked. Not exactly sure. I don't go check the bodies, and they always get dragged off. But I've got three with headshots, so at least that many. If they're in the trees, how can you hunt them? He asked again. It took a while to figure out, honestly but I watched them for years from a distance and figured out they hunt primarily by smell and movement. So I use cover and scent and store this ghillie suit outside to smell like the woods, then post up along one of their hunting trails a couple of hundred yards away and wait. Eventually they will come by and uh, if they get a kill where I can see, I take my shot, then lay still till the morning. Jesus, man. Usually, once one goes down, the others take them away and stay away for a few weeks, even a few months. I have no idea where they go or what they do. Ben finally spoke for the first time in a while. So we should be good the rest of the night. If the pattern holds. And luckily for us, it did. Apart from some howls way up the mountain, we didn't have any other issues that night. In the morning, we all packed up and Vince escorted us down the hill back to the trailhead. And we didn't talk much on the way down the mountain. I think we were in shock and just too tired. We loaded up our car and thanked Vince. I was the only one who had seen anything other than the first one that jumped out of the tree, and some of the others, over time, convinced themselves it was just locals messing with us, and Vince was in on it, but I knew better. The last I saw of Vince, he checked his gun while walking back up the trail into the mountains. It's been a few years since then, and I haven't gone back up or tried to look him up, and I can't tell you why that is other than I just don't want to know. 
Some of the conversations in this story have been paraphrased due to me not remembering exactly everything that was said, but I remember all the essential parts. I don't think I'll ever forget them. I know this story seems made up, and if I had heard it from someone else, I wouldn't believe it myself, but it's entirely true. But even if you think I'm full of it, do me one thing while in the deep forest. Check the trees. Thanks for listening to these allegedly true and downright creepy nighttime horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, be sure to punch that like button like you're Mike Tyson punching that kid on that airplane. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications to not miss a new episode as I upload them almost every single day in all things natural and supernatural. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please be sure to give this a 5-star rating on those platforms as it helps us grow over there, and it's very much appreciated. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium, but you still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and pretty much anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you'd like to support the Swamp outside of that, come join me over on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I also have a merch store where you can find t-shirts, face masks, hoodies, and more. And I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.